0: You may be seated. Uh, some of the giving may go towards a new uh, new one of these. You'll see there's multiple ways to give here at South Creek. Uh, you can text any, any dollar amount to the number on the screen. You can give as they're passing it here uh, around, uh, or you can go to our website, southcreek.church. And there, you can either do a one time gift or you can set up a recurring gift. Uh, and we do thank you. Yes, in our gifts, do you go to all sorts of things? They go towards uh, our programs, they go towards things like this. I also love one of the things that I love. Um, that we as a church do is that we as a church tithe. So 10% of what we bring in as a church uh, goes back out uh, into either local ministries or ministries uh, around the country or around the world. And so uh, just by your giving, you're also making a um, kingdom impact on a global scale. So uh, thank you guys uh, so, so much. All right. I I, I want us to, uh, we're talking a little bit more in church today and uh, maybe more than usual. I-, I want you guys to take a quick moment and find someone kind of around you, and I want you to tell them who was your childhood hero. Someone could be, could be a parent, could be uh, a sports figure, could be a teacher, something like that, but just take 30 seconds real quick and share with someone around you who was your hero as a child. And if you're online, you can let us know in the chat. All right, bring it back in. How many of you guys, it was a musician or maybe a, um, an athlete, maybe a family member? All sorts of people. How many of you guys tried to do the thing, felt like this was the safe bet here in church, you said it was Jesus? <laughs> if you lied, that's okay. Again, you're among friends. So for me, when I think about my childhood heroes, my, my, my two big ones that always can't come to mind, I wish I could be more like sentimental and be like, it was my dad. I'm sorry, Dave. It was Barry Sanders and it was Michael Jordan. I wanted to be able to move like Barry. I wanted to spin move because I was like, you're small, I can do that. And Michael Jordan, I mean, forever to this day, sometimes when I'm, like, focusing, the tongue comes out, and it's all because of MJ. I wanted to be like Mike. You know, it's interesting, as we are kids and as we're maturing, oftentimes, at least I have found, that oftentimes our heroes are people who do things that we wish we could do. We're impressed by their physical gifts, their natural abilities. And yet, as I get older... I find that the people who I looked up to as heroes are people that my younger self would have been like, really? And so much of it has to do with their character. You know, growing up, that was something that was always taught in school, that character counts. And it's kind of rubbed off on me as time has gone on, that I really, really desire uh, to to look up to and learn from people with great character. I want to tell you a story uh, about one of my heroes, who embodies uh, the value we're going to be talking about today. If you haven't been with us, we are in a series called um, Values for a Vision, and we're, we're talking about how we as a church community are, are, are really re-looking at our vision and our values and who we want to be, that instead of just focusing on the things that we want to do, we want to focus in on who we believe God wants us to become. And so we've been talking about these ideas of these values. And so far, we've talked about this idea of being rooted in Jesus. And last week, we talked about this idea of being persistent in prayer. And today, we're going to be talking about this idea of being gracious in love. And we're going to break down what that exactly means. We're going to talk about grace, and we're going to talk about love. But I want to tell you about this lady named Corey Tin Boone. Check out this picture of her. So she is this incredible uh, lady Uh, whom uh, grew up, she is a Dutch lady, and she grew up in this family uh, in which Jesus was the center of their life, and she um, was deeply impacted by um, Jesus and his story, and and, and she she found um, the love of Christ at an early age, and her family really sought to seek out living that gracious love that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, uh, her and her family, eventually, as uh, she was uh, alive during the time of um, Hitler and the Nazi regime, uh, she found that uh, as the Nazis invaded into uh, where, uh, where her and her family were, uh, what ended up happening is they began to be a part of this resistance, this, this Christ-centered resistance to uh, help uh, save not only the Jews, but also uh, people that the Nazis also wanted to uh, get rid of because they deemed invaluable. People who had mental and physical disabilities, things like that. And so her and her family actually created this, um, kind of in the same way of like, as we all know the story of Anne Frank, uh, in the same way her and her family actually created this safe room that was actually, uh, you could only get in there through her room, in which they for quite a while were able to save many people and get them to safety. But eventually they were Uh, betrayed. And eventually, uh, after they were betrayed, uh, her and her father and her sister uh, ended up being sent to a concentration camp. And there, uh, 10 days after they they got there, her father uh, died. But her and her sister um, were there for for quite a time. And they actually began to, in the midst of this time, being with these um, cruel captors who, um, you know, made their life a living hell we're doing awful things to them uh, in the midst of this uh, that did not um, dampen their resolve to follow Christ. And so they began to, they'd smuggled in a Bible and they began to have um, Bible studies and services. And many people who were prisoners in this camp came to know Jesus. They, they began to know about this hope in the midst of a time, in a place that would have been so, so dark. And I don't know about you, but living in a place like that, I have to imagine my hope would be pretty small. And yet, her and her sister continued to persevere. And eventually, sadly, her sister would die in that place. And for whatever reason, I would say the grace of God, uh, through a clerical error, uh, Corey was actually released from this prison. Now, what's incredible about the grace of God is is she would find out years later that the group that she was in uh, was scheduled and would be executed in gas chambers only a week after her release, just an incredible story of uh, God's grace and the perseverance through this. And, and Corey would go on to, she's written many books. If you've, if you've never heard of her, I would highly suggest there's a book called uh, The Hiding Place. It's really great. Uh, but she, she would go on to be an incredible champion for forgiveness and reconciliation post-war, especially from a Christ-centered perspective. But she tells this story that uh, has always stuck with me. She one time was uh, at an event at a church, and she, she spoke about just the forgiveness of God and all of these sort of things. And after the service, and mind you, this is years removed, this isn't just a couple years later, this is many years removed, she sees a man walk up to her after the service. And immediately, she could feel it in her body, just that feeling of dread and paralyzing fear, because she knew who this man was. This man was one of the guards at the concentration camp that she had been at. And immediately she froze, wondering, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Does he remember me? I don't know what to do. And she said it was one of those moments where maybe you've experienced this before, where, where, where there's only a few seconds, but in your mind a million things race, and you begin to have these conversations with yourself and with God. And in her mind, she's just sitting there thinking, God, I can't do this. I can't, I, can't, I can't face this guy. And this man, though, smiles at her. And he shares the story about how he found out about the grace of God. And about how he now knows and serves the God who will wipe away all our sins. Even the deep, dark ones. Even the things like he had done as a guard in a place like he was. But she said, She couldn't do it. Her body still was just frozen there. And all she could do in the midst of it, because he wanted so much, he asked her, could I hear from you that you forgive me? She froze. Because everything inside of her didn't want to. She flooded back to the memories of, of the terrible things she had experienced. She thought back to how her sister had died there. She thought back to friends and all of those sort of things. And so all she felt like she could do at that point, as this person who who preached about forgiveness and reconciliation and wholeness and hope, all she felt she could do in that moment was pray and say, Father, I, I don't know that I have the will to extend this grace, but I know you can. And she said, the Spirit of God or something compelled her to put her hand out as he had extended it to her and speak the words of I forgive you She said there was like a supernatural feeling in her body where she felt all of the hurt and the pent-up anger and frustration flow out. and She could truly see a brother in Christ in that moment. Now, something like that only can happen because of the gracious love of God. It is not something that we can muster ourselves. And so this morning, as we're going to dive into this idea of gracious in love, I want us to keep this story and her example in mind. Because so much of it, what I love about it, is it is so counter to the culture that we see. It is so ridiculous. In fact, in some ways, I don't know about you, but when, I, when I've read the story many times in my body, I'm like, but come on, God would forgive you if you just, you know, gave him a left hook. And yet what I love about it is it reminds us of the power and the authenticity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, where enemy love is one of the surest signs of transformation and change. And where in the same way, as she would write uh, in, in more words than I could say right now, that what compelled her to be able to forgive and be gracious to this man Whom she did not want to and whom in many ways we would all say she did not need to. She does it because of her understanding of the grace that she has received from God. Whom she did not deserve and he did not need to give. But he did because he was compelled by love. Now, today, we're going to break down this idea of, of both these words love and, and, and grace, and we're going to talk about what it means to be gracious and love. But, but, but one of the things that I want to keep us in mind as we're talking about these values is this idea that, again, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, and we're, we're called to reflect Christ. In many ways, we are supposed to be mirrors of him that when people look at us, they will see him. And we are called to reflect God and his character. And so when we talk about these ideas of these characteristics and these values, we find them in Scripture, we find them in the character of God, and our desire to focus on them and be intentional about them is not for our own self, so we can be like, sweet, we did it. It's not so we can check off boxes and be like, when we get to you know the pearly gates someday, like, see, look at this, I, I, I did all the sticker chart, there you go. It is so that we might reflect who God is to a broken, hurting world whose only hope is him. All right, so we're gonna break down these. We're gonna talk about love and then we're gonna talk about grace. All right, let's talk about love for a second. Now, we've, we've probably talked about this, maybe if you've been in church before, maybe you've heard this uh, before, but again, the Bible, when we read the Bible, uh, we have to remember that we're reading it in English, but it was not written in English originally. Uh, it was primarily, especially the New Testament, which tells the stories of the gospel, uh, was written in Greek and Aramaic. And they used, uh, they have different words. Honestly, sometimes I am, I am, um, convinced the English language just is not that great of a language. Is, is that true as a French teacher? Would you agree with that, Andrew? Is the, you think it's good or not good? It, it is good. Oh, he says it's good. See, I don't always think it's good because we have words that mean, uh, that can be used for many different meanings. And sometimes that's just confusing. The word love, right? I always use this example, but it's true. The word love can mean a lot of things. If I say that I love my mom, that's one thing. If I say I love Taco Bell, I'm not sure that's the exact same thing. In fact, that's more of like an abusive relationship. <laughs> I could say that I love my sons, and I can say that I love my beautiful wife. Two very different types of love. And so the love that we're talking about is this love uh, that, that is the Greek word agape. And agape love really uh, is characterized by these things. It's, it's an unconditional love. It is, it is, again, a love that, 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 that has, doesn't really have conditions. It is sacrificial in nature. It is sacrificial in nature. It's pure and selfless. So, the, you know, sometimes there are, there are sacrifices we make for things that we want in return. This is a sacrificial love, but it's pure and selfless, and it comes from God. This is not a love that we can... Uh, be able to, to wield on our own. It's not something that we get to produce. It is something that is produced inside of us to share with others. Now, let's talk about this love. We, we find in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is oftentimes known as the love chapter. And let's be honest, how many of you guys have been to a wedding where they read this, this verse? How many of you was, was this the verse at your wedding? I'm not hating, but this is a great verse. It's a great thing, but we oftentimes mistake it. We're like, this is romantic love. This is the love of God. Now, now, listen, if you're in a marriage, awesome, and this is the type of love that we should have for each other, but this love speaks to what we're supposed to do for all people, not just our spouse, not just our person. This is for all people. This is, this is what it says. Paul wrote this, and, and I love the way that he encapsulates this idea of agape love. He says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Now, let me pause for a second. I used to hear this verse, and I didn't really get it, um, this first part. Uh, And then I had kids. Have any of you ever had the pleasure of an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent buy your child a toy drum set or anything like that? Listen, God's grace is for them as well. Maybe not mine. We understand that, right? It is, my, my youngest son, uh, Silas, got a uh, toy guitar for Christmas. Thank you, Grandma Shelley. I understand the resounding gong or clanging cymbal in many ways. He goes on, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am Nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, this is the type of love that when we talk about being gracious in love, this is the model in so many ways. And one of the things that I love about it is it is a blueprint that is, in many ways, the exact opposite of lots of relationships that we see in the world today. Because more often than not, our world is full of self-promotion. It is full of being easily angered and offended. It is full of being impatient with others. It does envy. And yet we get this blueprint to say, what if we were the opposite of what human nature was? What if we were to reflect this? And again, the only way we can do this is through transformation from God, from closeness with him. Because at his core, we understand, as we're going to read here in a minute from uh, 1 John chapter 4, that God is love. That at its core, who God is in his nature, the greatest thing, if you were to say, give me one word about who God is, I would say love. He's agape. He is selfless. He is sacrificial. He's he's pure and selfless. He's good. In 1 John chapter 4, I love these words. John wrote this. He said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. But some of, the, some of the key things that I think he says that, 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 that is helpful for us uh, desiring to follow Jesus, desiring to, to live out this idea of a gracious love is this idea that if we really want to know God, we need to know his love. And if we really want others to know God, we need to give out his love. And the truth is, that is incredibly difficult often. Because again, oftentimes it's really easy to hold grudges. I don't know about you guys, I'm really good at that. It's very easy to be impatient. I was that this week quite a bit. It is difficult in many ways to love. And at least what I've found in my life, the times that I have the hardest time loving others are the moments where I have least allowed God's love to invade my own life. Because in many ways, we cannot pour out what we will not take in. In many ways, our life, our hearts are like a cup that we need to experience the love of God. We need to be filled up by it often to be able to pour it out to others. And many of us, some of us go through life never really getting a fill up, and so we're like, hey, I ain't pouring that out. And there's some of us who spend so much time where we run into the issue where we've poured out so much that we've forgotten to go back and experience a fill-up ourselves. And then we become jaded, disillusioned, and we can begin uh, worshiping and and desiring our our own uh, works and ways of earning things, but that's not how it works. God's love is something that he freely gives, but he only gives to those of us who seek it. And we only get to give it out once we've received it from him. We can't manufacture it ourselves. It is something that is given to us to give back out, and to give back out, and to give back out. You know, around here at South Creek, uh, we, we have a saying, kind of, kind of a mantra. Because we, we believe that there's, a, there's a, um, a common phrase that maybe you've heard before that says, hurt people, hurt people. Which is so true. It, it, I'm sure most of us probably could tell a story of experiencing that. And we we understand the idea, right? The fact that oftentimes, people who hurt others, it's a reflection of experience of hurt that they've experienced before. But we also believe that that the counter is true. And we believe that loved people love people. We believe that people who have experienced the love of God should love people. Honestly, one of the things that's crazy to me sometimes is I'll meet people who, who would proclaim being a follower of Jesus desire to be a follower of Jesus, whom, if they're honest, they love the idea of being a loved person, but they don't have any desire to love people. And that's just not the way it works. God has not called us to experience lots of love and then just go hang out in our basement. That we are called to be in the thick of things, to be people who have been transformed by love, that are compelled by love, to get out into this world and love people. And not just the people that look like us, think like us, vote like us, smell like us, but all the people. And sometimes love might even require us looking at the person whom has hurt us most in the eyes and saying words of blessing and forgiveness. Not because they've earned it, not because they deserve it, but because love compels us to do that. Let's talk about grace. Grace, uh, grace, or in the Greek word, it's charis. It's what is grace? Grace is, it's something that's it's given, it's not earned. Uh, it's God's favor and his forgiveness, and it's getting better than you deserve. You maybe heard this expression before, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting better than what you deserve. Mercy is when you do something bad and the punishment is void Grace is you do something bad, and not only is the punishment voided, you get a gift as well. Grace is a pretty sweet deal, if I'm honest. I sometimes underestimate the idea of um, the gift that is the grace of God. And interestingly, I think some people have this um, misconception that, um, well, the the God of the Old Testament is... um, destructive and violent and unmerciful and ungracious. And, and then Jesus came along kind of like the cool, you know, younger son is like, hey, what if we tried this grace thing? And the truth is, God has always been gracious. Uh, in, in Exodus uh, 34, uh, we find this passage that is, is oftentimes known uh, as the Shema. And it's this prayer that the that, that Jewish people still to this day um, pray So, so often, it's something that that, that they pray over their children. Um, But These are these words. It says this. It says, uh, he passed in front of Moses. This is God. And it says this, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. Now, I don't have enough time to explain what all of the last part of that means because it can be confusing. But I love that early on we see who God is by just his statement that he is compassionate and gracious, that he is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, and that he is a forgiving God who forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now, if you miss anything else about the idea of God in in the Old Testament, it's just this, is that God has always had a bent towards grace. Over and over again, God tries to experience and and create wholeness to broken relationship that he has with his people. He constantly is on the losing end of the deal. That That if there were a negotiation table, God is always losing out, really. He's giving more than really he's getting back. But God has always had this meant there. Um, But it's so important that we would be a people of grace. You know, the the church should, without question, be the most grace-filled people in place. Yet, honestly, one of the sad things is that if you were to look at some of the statistics that the different research groups have done about um, non-Christians' views of the church, you know, what are some of the big things that people know us for most? They'd say we are closed-minded, judgmental, that we don't like gay people. They would say lots of things, and some things are fair, some things are unfair. Some things, uh, they've got twisted. But the truth is, sometimes there are things that we are now um, uh, are reaping from, from the way that we have sown our lives. There are some things that we're dealing with um, now as far as how people view the church and view Jesus. that. It's kind of our fault or, or people who've come before us is fault. There's some things where in some ways we'd say there's no lie there. You know, I've, I have found sadly that there are times that people um, are like, I don't really want to go to church because it's just full of people who are, are, are even more judgmental or terrible. You know, they'll be like, well, the divorce rate is just as high there if not higher. All of these sort of things. And yet I, I personally uh, have a desire, have a dream what if the church became known once more as a place that is just full of grace, that is full of a place of mercy, where people would say, Oh, that's the people whom no matter what you do, they walk in and they accept you and they love you. you know, one of the reasons why um, Christianity spread so fast uh, at one point is the fact that during um, certain times of persecution, during times of conflict during um things like pandemics they were the people who were going to the margins true story there 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 was a a huge pandemic that had happened in the roman empire just wiping people out like crazy and um and and understandably so people were afraid and oftentimes what was happening is if people got this certain illness at the time they were just kind of like sent off family members are like hey good luck sorry we don't know what to do with you peace And the Christians actually became known by their love because they were going to these places where these people were dying and they were sick and they had lost all hope. And they were the ones who were saying, we'll do this. When there was time periods in the Roman Empire when when people would have babies and they didn't want them anymore and they would just go throw them or leave them abandoned places, Christians were known for being people who would be seeking out those children, taking them in, adopting them, loving them. They were known for this ridiculous, gracious love, and people were attracted by it. Now, I I believe that if the same spirit that lived inside of those Christians then still lives inside of you and me, I believe that there is a chance for the church to flip the script, to have a comeback story. To become people where, again, when people are in trouble, they don't think that's a place I'm not going because I don't want people to know my business. I don't want people to judge me. But that would be a place of healing and hope. They wouldn't say, don't go there. They'd say, this is the first place we should go. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul says this beautifully about just this idea of the grace of God. He says this As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom from afar, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, So that no one can boast. Now, I love, uh, here's, here's a Bible reading tip. If you see phrases that are repeated more than once, important, right? Paul goes way out of his way. I have to admit, I wonder if he's probably writing it to himself more than anyone else to say, it is by grace you have been saved. It's not nothing you can do. And at this point in his life, Paul's got a pretty good track record. Like if we're going for like, you know, if if there was like a, you know, um, uh, an award show for, for Christians, Paul probably would have been up there for the top honor. But I think even he probably had to remind himself over and over that he's been saved not by what he does. He doesn't get to earn more of God's love or more of God's grace. It is something that is given through Christ Jesus. So that even though we were dead, we can be made alive. Because you see, as simple as it is, this is one of the most profound things that we could sit with all of our lives, is that grace changes us. Grace changes us. And the incredible thing is grace can change anybody. I oftentimes think most of our problems in this world are the fact that many people have not had an authentic encounter with grace. Grace that either we've somewhat experienced it and it just went over our heads or we've never really allowed grace to transform our lives. In Romans chapter 6, Paul also said this. He says, "Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace." And you know, one of the issues is just this is Part of our bad rap out in the world, I think, is because we inconsistently live lives where we still try to go back to being people of the law. Which, of course, there's a lot of things in there that are really important. Of course, there are things that, that are that are still required of us to make sure that we continue to live in the grace of God. But there are many people whom they view Christians as people who 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 are like the person who, when you're playing a board game, they keep bringing out the rule book over and over. And everyone's like, shut up, we're having fun. Can we just play? And I worry, oftentimes, one of the things that have most gotten in the way of people experiencing the grace of God is people who would call themselves followers of Jesus, trying to give them a laundry list of things to do before they ever get to Jesus. And one of the most beautiful, audacious things about the gospel of Jesus Christ is we don't have to get clean to go to them, right? Like, we don't, we don't have to take a couple steps before we start something. You know, there, there are some times where people who need to have surgery, they, they have to hit certain requirements before they are, are well enough to do it, right? Maybe they have to get their weight down or their blood pressure or things like that, which totally makes sense. But one of the things I love about God's grace is it's not one of those things where God says, like, hey, Work on these couple things, then come to me. Hey, do do a few of these things, and then then we'll talk about this whole salvation piece. Many of us talk ourselves out of experiencing God's grace because we run into that too. We're like, well, if I could just get my life a little bit more, you know, like, "Ah." no. One of the beautiful things about the grace and the love of God is that he sees us in our mess and says, that is my son, that is my daughter, come here. Let me change you. Don't try to change yourself before you get there. You see, I believe, though, as the church, that if if we cannot reflect gracious love, we have failed to be ambassadors for Christ. And if we can't get this part right, we might as well close up shop. Because more than anything else in this world, people don't need more programs, they don't need more things to do, they need more of God's grace. And they're likely not going to experience it unless someone else does, unless someone else brings it to them. One of my favorite quotes of all time. Uh, I'm all about, uh, you know, as I get older again, it's, it's fun how many, um, they are just incredible women who God has um, used to speak into my own life. And uh, Madeline Ling, uh, she, she, she has this quote that uh, has profoundly impacted my thoughts on what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in our day and age today. Uh, And she says this about um, how we share the love of Christ, how we draw people in. She says this, uh, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how they are wrong and how we are right, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that that they want with all of their hearts to know the source of it. You know, so much of how people come to know the grace of God is seeing it in the lives of other people. I so desire for there to be more and more people who become part of this community whose lives are just a mess. Whose their lives and their past are full of darkness. Because I know what it's like to be in the darkness and I know how good the light feels. And oftentimes, we best see the light shine through through something really dark. And I think so many people desire to get out of the darkness. But the way that they see the light portrayed or they hear people talking about the light doesn't sound that lovely. It doesn't sound that good. I want to tell one last story as uh, Elise is going to come out and and sing one more song for us. It's a a small story. Um, Jesus, he is arrested. He's beaten. He, he's, he's put up on the cross, you might remember. Uh, and right beside him, they put two thieves. And, and, and at the beginning of Jesus' crucifixion, um, scripture talks about how both these thieves are, are joining in everyone around, kind of mocking him and sort of, you know, just being like, man, what a loser. What are you doing here too? Which so much of me has got to think like, like you guys are like hanging on the cross and you're making fun. Like, you're, just, you're, you're on the cross, man. Like, Read the room. But, but, but for whatever reason, at some point during this time that they're on the cross, one of the thieves, I don't know what it is other than the grace of God, has a change. I don't know if he saw something, if, if God just did something to him, but there's a change. And, and Scripture talks about this in the Gospel of Luke, how this man began to To tell the other thief to to stop that, to stop, stop doing all these things. And he speaks these words and says, leave this man alone. He acknowledges that Jesus is Lord and he says, I hope to be in your kingdom with you. And Jesus... In one of the most um, uh, interesting passages that, that theologians and pastors and people will forever, until the end of time, debate, I'm like, what, what exactly, what does this mean? How do we, how do we deal with this? Um, tells him that, truly, I tell you, tonight you will be in paradise with me. Now, this is crazy, right? Because so much of us would say, okay, you got to get baptized. you got to make this certain prayer. you got to do all these certain things, right? We're, we're like, there's the list. He didn't do the list, Yet ultimately is Jesus' grace, not our grace. Ultimately, it is a gift that comes from Christ, not something that we get to de- delegate. None of us I just want you to hear this out loud none of us have been called to be the gatekeepers of God's grace. He didn't pick any of you and say, like, "You're going to be the gatekeeper of God's grace. So what do we do with this passage? One of of the things that, at least for me, I have been wrestling with and learning, which is so beautiful, is just the fact that God's grace is far bigger than I could have imagined. And I don't understand it all. That's not a big statement of like, well, this person's in, this person's out, all these sort of things. What I understand as I get older is the fact that that God is God and I am not. And what I've realized in, in many ways is that this man had an encounter with Jesus Declared that he is Lord, and Jesus said, you're with me. And the truth is, my hope is for every single one of us, no matter how we get there, we recognize that if we desire and say that he is Lord, that he is king, that he's going to cancel our debt, that we're going to walk into eternity with him saying, they're with me. And do I understand all of grace? No. And that's one of the things that's incredible about it. It's like the ocean. It's deeper than we can imagine. It's wider than we could have understood. It's bigger than we can hold in our hands. And it's not something that we get to own. It's something we get to experience and we get to give out. But it's not ours. And so this morning, as we're gonna sing one last song, there's, there's two things I want us to think about as maybe a response. The first is maybe for some of us, we just need to, for the first time or for the first time in a long time, just ask God to give us some of his grace, to really experience it, to allow it to change us. And then the other thing, which is the really harder one that some of you are going to be mad at me for later, is I want you to think about a person right now that you really don't want to give grace to that you know you need to. And maybe you have a picture of someone in your mind. And maybe it's not your enemy. Maybe it's just someone who you realize God has placed them in your life, and you have a unique opportunity to be an influence, an ambassador of grace to them. And I want you just to sit with what maybe God wants to do in and through your life with them. Would you guys stand with me uh, as we're going to pray, and we're going we're to we're respond by singing this last song. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for the fact that in a world that oftentimes seeks revenge, uh, it oftentimes seeks our own interests. That, Father, you call us to be people of gracious love. Who, in the same way that you are gracious and compassionate, that you are slow to anger, that you are bounding in love, that you keep no records of right or wrong, that you're, you're patient and you're kind. That, Father, in the same way, we ask that we would not only experience that love, but we would embody that love to others. That, Father, I pray that we end up with a reputation in this community, not for our sake, but for yours, of being a place where people are going to start saying in places that, that people don't believe, normally Jesus gets talked about, where people will say, can you believe that place? Can you believe those people? I can't believe the way that they loved me, that they accepted me, that they called me friend. Father, during this time, I most... Most importantly, Father, would you just speak to us? Maybe for some of us, we need to hear words of your kindness and your love to be reminded that even though we are not deserving of your grace, that you freely give it and invite us to come home. And that, Father, you also may, in our minds and our hearts, begin to place just um, an insatiable desire to seek out the person that you've placed in our hearts and our minds to be a person who is an ambassador of grace for them. Father, speak to us as we sing these songs and remind us of our identity in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.